This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Uh, this week and this edition of Kelly and Ramya. I'm at the home studio, London, Ontario. Ramya, she is at our studio in Toronto. Hey. And today, uh, unfortunately, we have to kick the show off on a bit of a somber note. Um, of course, lots of positivity you have to have when you get an announcement like this, folks. And our leaders are the best at giving that to us. King Charles has been diagnosed with a form of cancer, says Buckingham Palace. It is not prostate cancer, but was discovered during his recent treatment for an enlarged prostate. The type of cancer has not been revealed, but the palace says the king started regular treatments on Monday. Buckingham Palace says the king remains wholly positive about his treatment, of course, he will postpone his public engagements with senior royals expected to stand in for him. The king looked forward to returning to full public duty as soon as possible, the palace said. At this time, no further details are being shared on the stage of cancer or prognosis. The king informed both his sons personally about his diagnosis. Um, so everybody seems to feel the king is in incredible um, good form. Uh, with high expectation and positive. So very, uh, very good to hear that. And uh, of course, we'll all be on top of that and pulling for, for the king. Let's take a look at what we've got coming up on today's edition of Kelly and Ramya. Vancouver celebrates the Lunar New Year in February with uh, celebrations and events throughout the Lower Mainland. Community reporter Carol Yapel has all those details for us. Kind of getting a crossover of information today on our CNIB Smart Life segment. We're talking about the Come to Work program. We know we check in with them once a mm. month. Uh, talking about the Begin Your World series. Or sorry, wow. Accommodating like Your World series. I'm just making up my own names. I, I kind of like that pun, though. It sounds good. Yep. On Know Your Rights today, Danielle McLaughlin is joined by special guest Senator Kim Pate, an independent member of the Senate of Canada and a long-time human rights advocate. That conversation will happen later on in Hour 2 of the program. Hollywood action star and Hollywood football pro Carl Weathers has passed away. In his 20s, Carl Weathers was a man torn between two loves, football and acting. He played two seasons for the Oakland Raiders as a linebacker, but when that didn't work out, he pivoted to TV and film. In his looking 20s, small Carl Weathers was a there man torn between 1976's football Rock and Nobody acting. Goes he played two seasons for the me. Oakland Raiders as a linebacker, but when that didn't work out, right, right Weathers played Apollo Creed in four Rocky films and had memorable roles in Predator, the comedy Happy Gilmore, and most recently an Emmy nomination for the Star Wars series The Mandalorian. Try me. Weathers died in his sleep Thursday. He was 76. Jason Athens and ABC News, Hollywood. Happy Gilmore. So I always, yeah, I love Happy Gilmore. Um, I always think, Rum, of the ability, you know, you have a love. We were talking about this last week about musicians, right? And giving something a try. If you're an actor, hey, maybe you release, as we were having our conversation last week. Kate Hudson. Uh, maybe yeah. some music, right? And here you go, somebody, an athlete, who, oh, man, I'd really like to be in pictures. TV, movie, boy, while you're doing a career and you wait for that opportunity where someone agrees with you, whether you go out 
uh, after retiring or through the process of, of playing and sneak to maybe, uh, you know, an audition or two. And somebody says, well, Carl, we'd like to try you here. Let's let's give this a shot. And then to have so much success and be attached to something like the Rocky pictures. Like right. you Big don't names. know what's going to happen, but something that explodes. And what a character. And, and again, I always find it interesting because, we, you know, those who like any form of fighting, mixed martial arts, wrestling, boxing, whatever it might mm. be, always, no matter what area you talk about, that, you know, come on, you know, the, the whole haunting, teasing, um, belief in oneself, the the using that to intimidate your opponent and the fans of your opponent. Uh, and he did it so well as Apollo Creed. It's so interesting to hear, like, all of this, of course, as uh, someone passes away, you start to understand their trajectory and their fan, uh, fame and how they got to certain places in life and such. But it's also interesting because you know how I love my fair share of celebrity memoirs, uh, mm -hmm. hearing where people went from, hopped from one thing to another, not knowing yes. at all what would happen. And the people right. behind that, right? Like the people who influenced you or, as you said, you know, kind of said, hey, maybe try your hand at this. Or uh, someone just kind of puts this train of thought in you and you're like, I guess. But... I highly doubt that a lot of these people go in thinking that that second path is going to give them the the fame or the um, attention that their initial path gave them. Okay, well, and I don't mean to suggest that if he wasn't picked for this particular movie, Rocky, that mm -hmm. he might not be that actor and still doing stuff like in The Mandalorian. And, you know, I, I don't mean to suggest that because certainly a lot of people say, hey, I'm going to try this. We've seen it. They yeah. go out and try it and, whoa, But they just don't plan to be great at it or for it to no. get as big as it does yeah and i'm sure some become great and we still say what's the big deal about that person they should have stuck to football wow. or something else right it, it happens or you know maybe they should have stuck just being a musician Those what are they are trying to be an actor yeah maybe but i mean we all have our things that we're good at and sometimes we have advantages such as who we are already to give us a bit of a leg up at least on opportunity yeah, that's true but I also don't think we should hold that against someone because they're positioned that well. Because let's be fair, whatever it was, their connections, their original talent mm. supported and helped guide them along the way to where they knew I'm positioned well to even just give this a chance. And I'm used to the potential of failure. If I'm not good at it, I'm not good at it. Yeah, so they can always go back to the original. Maybe. Anyway, let's see what's coming up in the next segment of the program, folks. We're going to talk a little bit about Be My Eyes on the show. Um, they added a new feature called Groups. Wondering how it works? You know who's coming up next with the answers. Michael Babcock lets us know after this. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Can't be here for the program when we're on, whether it's AMI-TV or AMI-audio, folks. Well, check us out via the podcast. You can subscribe using your favorite podcast platform whenever you want to. Listen to the show in segment form. Also, listen to the show in its full length, and you get the audio vanity card that we slap on the end. That's the Kelly and Rumya podcast, available via your favorite podcatcher. Kelly McDonald here with Rumya Muthan. Well, we're getting in, into our weekly tech talk with Mike Babcock, and he's got a lot of stuff on the board, including actual physical stuff that he's uh, got himself or somebody's got him. Let's bring him on.
app news, device reviews, security advice, and more. It's time to talk tech with me, Michael Babcock. Get your dose of ever-changing technology knowledge right here on Kelly and Romeo. Michael, so many gifts coming into your um, house. I don't know, <laughs> is, is Santa still working or is this your doing? Uh, I have no comment on that. Oh, yeah? I don't think I uh-huh. contractually yep. have to answer that, oh, do I? Right. No. No, no. But I find it interesting, isn't it? It's Somebody rains all sorts of stuff on this guy. Isn't that so wonderful, Michael? But yeah. I know it's you taking a bullet for the team. For, for sure. everybody there, sure. Michael's got to be able to come discuss. And he certainly wants mm-hmm. the family never to get something that doesn't way work. To ask for all this yeah. free stuff he's getting. Yeah. The conversation right. my wife Uh-oh. and I have ends with, it's all for the content. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hold on. Did you hear what hashtag. she said, though, Michael? No, I that take you it back. get all this free it, it stuff. It was buried. It was buried. I, I, I wish I got all this free stuff, although there's <laughs> there's some perks to being in the content world. So I, 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 I think yes, you're mixing yes. them up with uh, Mark Aflalo and Stephen Scott. Oh, oh did I say that about Stephen? Absolutely. He's got a lot of free stuff, I imagine. <laughs> but he does spend a lot of money, too. I will say, uh, Apple has not sent me a free phone like they apparently sent Sean and Steven. So, yep. no, Apple, they've if you're got listening, a hold of Apple. I'm open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's start with the first thing then. You just got a new Android device. What'd you get? So I'm holding it up uh, right now. This is the S23 Plus from Samsung. It's the Galaxy phone. Um, This is the first time I've ever actually used a Galaxy phone. I've used a lot of Android phones in the past. Uh, Actually, long-time listeners know that Android is the reason that I am here because there wasn't a lot of coverage of of Android content. Uh, So... I I have had pixels most of the time, but this S23 from Samsung is a little bit of a different experience. Okay, man. All right. So let's get into the experience. What's it been like having it and utilizing it? Okay. So I've got a lot of notes here. So we'll try to get through them so we can get in time to get to the Be My Eyes stuff. But the first thing is when I first got it, I said, man, this this phone feels nice in my hand. I don't have a case on it. Um, It it does uh, take a minute to get used to because the uh, sleep uh, button at the bottom or the sleep button is on the bottom on the right-hand side of the phone below the volume keys. And from an iPhone user's perspective, uh, you might think that that key is a little bit higher than where it should be. So that took me a minute to get used to. And I still find myself hitting that lock button to turn the volume mm-hmm. down because I think, oh, the bottom button is the volume down. That, that's not, not the it. case. Is that uh, normal for t- Android phones, though? I think it really just depends. That's the thing about Android phones it's... is the form factor can be different, right. um, just depending on the manufacturer. So um, this has an in-screen fingerprint reader, and I've had mixed experiences with those. During the setup process of this phone, it explained to me using TalkBack, um, oh, move your finger up, move your finger to the left. And then it started telling me, move your finger down and to the right a tenth of an inch. I'm like, how far is a tenth of an inch? <laughs> that was a little strange. Matt, seriously? Okay. Uh, yeah. There, but once you get it set up, though, uh, you you come to find where the fingerprint reader is. And right. TalkBack is a lot better at explaining to you where to move your finger if it's not lined up with the fingerprint properly. There is nice. the ability to set up Face ID with this as well. So you get both fingerprint and Face ID. I did not do that process, but I did set up a PIN and I did set up the fingerprint process 
Um, and once I got through all that setup, of course, you get the standard sign in with Android stuff. Uh, I had to update the phone probably two or three times. I don't know why I didn't do it all the first time. Uh, but <laughs> once I did that, everything seemed to work fairly good. I did make a couple of modifications. Um, the phone comes with the Samsung keyboard, and I struggled with using that. Nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't... I can't really explain it. It just didn't feel right to me. So I replaced the keyboard with the Gboard from Google. Um, and in there, I actually went poking around the preferences. And this might help people on Android. If you want a little bit more audio feedback when you're typing, you can go into the preferences of the oh. Gboard and turn on play sound on key touch. Okay. So when you touch the key, it will play a clicking sound. So you know that your finger actually touched the key. Um, and that seemed to make my typing experience a little uh, better. Couple more changes that I made. I changed the one UI launcher because that just seemed a little too busy, which really means I got tired of the advertisements in it. Uh, <laughs> to the lawn chair launcher, I've mentioned this one a couple of times. Um, it, it's a oh, classic but goodie. It works, um, and I was able to quickly get it set up. Um, and then the last thing that I'll mention is in on the Samsung Galaxy S23 Plus, and I think this is the case with other Galaxy devices. There's this con Concept called edge panels. Um, I wasn't able to find a way to quickly get to the edge panel aside from going to the, to the last item on the screen and then flicking to the right. And when I did that, that would take me to this edge panel, which would allow you to double tap on it and get access to info quickly. And you can go configure hmm. this under the settings and display. And I've actually disabled it recently, um, so it's not in my way. But that gives me the ability to pull up the weather or to get information about news. Um, in TalkBack, uh, this has been in beta for years, and I turned it on, and then I uh, turned it off this morning because I realized that I think it was giving me some issues. But if you go to the TalkBack settings and you go to Advanced, and then you can enable the uh, activate on single touch, which means that if you touch something, it will activate instead of you having to double tap it. One of the oh. negative side effects of that is that when you touch on something and then you go double tap anywhere else on the screen, because single tap is enabled, it thinks you're actually tapping on something else. So uh, okay. it's a cool feature, but I probably but. am going to keep it off. Okay. I, I it might be more questions. helpful for low vision people. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. I, yes. Yes. Um, first of all, when you change the typing, can you have, do you have options of what kind of typing sound it makes? Uh, not natively, but it's Android. So you might be able to customize that. I haven't seen a way to natively change the sound. Okay. And any particular reason you, you did not bother with the face when it comes uh, to ID? Time. Uh, I was doing <laughs> okay. multiple different things, as you know, that I often do. So nothing wrong with it. I probably will set up face unlock in the next couple of days. Uh, but when I was setting it up, I'm like, come on, can't I just get into my phone now? I just want to play with it. <laughs> Great. Okay. It might ask uh, less math of you to do the face ID. Um, are you maybe too early to ask this question? Because it sounds like you're still pretty much exploring and getting used to things on this phone. But are you going to give up your iPhone? Maybe. 
Um, really? I don't think, yeah, I don't think I'm going to immediately. I'll, I'll I, and I will always have an iPhone because my wife will not go back to Android. That's, I'm not even a question. Um, and so I will probably make this my primary device in the near future. At first I said, no, I'm not going to do that. But the more that I play with it, the more I'm like, huh, this experience isn't bad. I even like the way that the phone feels in my hand. Um, and I do notice a little bit of sluggishness when I flick around. But again, that could be some settings that I could go in and change. So I think I could see myself setting the iPhone next to the blind shell and saying, I'll come to you when I need you. Wow. Wow. That is something. See, Michael, personal phone versus work phone, you know, maybe if you Ooh, use one for one or the go. other. Mm -hmm. However, yeah. yeah, you know, then you're very uh, diverse in both. Um, you got a new wearable that's also entered your life. What did you get? So I'm holding up now the Pixel Watch 2, and it's got a cord coming out of it because I've been doing an update on it for the last three hours. Whoa. No comments there. <laughs> uh, and so it, that is the Pixel Watch 3, uh, Pixel Watch 2. Um, and I have been an Apple Watch user for... I think Mallory got me my first Apple Watch for Valentine's Day in 2015. So it's been a little while. Uh, I, I, it was the Apple Watch Zero. And uh, I kind of like the way that this Pixel Watch feels on my wrist because it's round and not a rectangle. Okay, that's an interesting choice. So how is it working out for you, the watch so far? Aside from the fact that it won't update itself, and that is the slowest Clearly. process in the entire world, uh, my experiences have been fairly good. Um, I, I, as I said, love the way that it feels on my wrist. It's really lightweight and it's comfortable to wear. Uh, by default, the wristband was not that big, and there is directions during the setup process of how to switch the wristband. Um, I actually took it to Mallory and said, hey, can you switch this to the larger one? Because I didn't have the patience to, to figure it out. Uh, but once I got that switched, I was able to uh, get it on just fine. And then Something to be aware of with this, and it took me a couple of days to figure it out, and I, they kept referencing the side button, and I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me. When you're wearing the Apple Watch and the crown is facing you, you have your mm -hmm. side button, which is the rectangle button, on the left side of the crown. On the Pixel Watch 2, that button is on the right side of the crown, but it feels like it is part of the body of the watch. And so that took me a little bit to get used to. Oh, you but couldn't actually you... find it. Yeah, I couldn't find it. Huh. it. It felt flush with the uh, actual body. So I'm right. like, oh, this isn't it. I actually had to take it off and, and just start pushing on random parts <laughs> of the watch to see what went in. And it's uh, on the other you... side of it, eh? That's yep. interesting, yep. too. Wow. That's going to mm. take a bit to get used to, to, to get around that one on the left, one on the right. Mm -hmm. When you get it turned on, so you press and hold the crown, you'll feel a vibration, you'll hear a chime. It's a really simple startup process. You can two finger, you can hold two fingers on the screen like you normally would with an Android device, or triple tap that side button when you can find it, and that'll turn talk back on and give you an important tutorial to go through, which tells you some of the gestures that you can use on the watch. Um, and then the setup process uh, was pretty smooth. It walked you through and made you verify, yes, this is the code I'm I'm hearing on my watch. Um, and I will follow up and let you know after it updates what my experiences are truly on the okay. watch. 
That's really cool. I love this whole business about round versus rectangle. That's, uh, you know, it's uh, what we're used to. Uh, sir, we got two minutes. Let's go over. Be My Eyes added a new feature called groups. How does this work? Uh, this is cool. So you can invite your friends and family to be a volunteer and they'll join your group. Then when you go into the I need assistance option and choose groups, you can pick which oh. group you want to call and then get access to those family or friends, which means you don't have to worry about confidential information. Well, I mean, maybe you do, but you're more comfortable <laughs> with confidential information going to your friends and family instead of just a random volunteer. Well, uh, before we wrap it up, though, I do want to mention under the specialized assistance and blindness on Be My Eyes is a Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired, or MAVI. They have uh, some very good training and their volunteers that are helping uh, blind or sight impaired individuals. So if you don't have any groups available, but you want to get a reliable uh, person or a reliable contact, just mm. go into the blindness and choose MAVI, and it is available now in Canada. Okay, that's great. Good um, uh, additional information. Going back to groups, though, really quickly, do, does that mean our family and friends need to have the app, or is this outside of Be My Eyes? So you send them a text message, and they download the Be My Eyes app, and they okay. sign in as a volunteer, and then they they can choose if they want to volunteer for everyone or just be part of your Look group. at that. So, They're just so getting everyone on board. And if they volunteer for everyone, they go through that normal process, but if they're just for you, that's more they just of a download the app family and get into helping the family, right? Mm -hmm. And get yep. into it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Wow. wow. Trying to get us off our FaceTime group calls. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's going to work. It is. It is. Uh, Michael, thank Cause, you. Because we'll use the, the Be My AIs and still have the group feature. Yeah. See? Oh, you yeah. betcha. I'm like barely ever <laughs> closing that app nowadays. I use it so much. I know. It's awesome. Thank you. Well, you guys have a great rest of your show. Thanks. Michael Babcock joins us on Mondays. That's for our weekly tech talk, and he covers a lot, so you can check it out on the podcast feed as well. When I'm at the basketball games, I use it to try to find out the score. Do you? When I lose track. <laughs> I, I see, I would use seeing AI for something like that. Quick, short text. Oh, and it's, it, makes, it makes total sense to do something like that, but I've been having fun just experimenting yeah. and also learning that the score isn't sitting up on that jumbotron all the time. There's other video and things That's like that true. that get put up there, and it'll tell you, you know, uh, you know, it shows a scoreboard with, other, with video on it. Yeah, and sometimes so I, it'll I catch like an audience that. member doing something silly or funny and give you that info as well. A mixed crowd, yes. Young people mainly. Players standing around. It might be basketball. <laughs> yeah. Coming up next, folks, some awareness about romance scams and to keep avoiding them, folks. Grant Hardy is going to fill us in at what he's got on this subject after this. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. is uh, at main campus in Toronto at the studio. I'm Kelly McDonald here at the studio in London, Ontario at the home studio. Yeah, I have fun taking that pictures, but I do worry, Romeo, when I'm sitting there at the game taking these pictures that I'm going to hear off in the distance. Whoa, stop taking my picture, will you? Oh, do but people actually I guess people comment? are used to that. No. I don't know if people do anymore because everybody's Everyone's used to everybody got waving their, their cameras. Everyone's out. Legit. Years ago. Years ago, people would get so mad. Even if you just looked yeah, yeah. in the direction of somebody. Oh, like, I you take know, TTC, I know. Mm -hmm. Do you want my picture or something? And I used to laugh, and I'd, hmm, what? You're looking at me. I said, well, that's a good trick. Not likely. Folks, 
always have lots of good conversations on the program. We welcome in to uh, carry us through this next segment to talk headlines, Grant Hardy. Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramia. You ever have that happen, Grant? Minding your own business, sitting there, and somebody thinks you're staring at them or looking because they don't realize you're vision impaired? Well, yeah. I mean, funnily enough, uh, we, there's a new app that's being tested in Canada that uh, allows your phone to use the camera to interpret uh, audible, uh, sorry, not audible, non-audible signals. Oh. And I was sitting in an Uber uh, and I was thinking, oh, I'm going to test this out. And then I was like, wait a minute, isn't my driver or someone else going to wonder why I'm sticking my <laughs> camera yeah. up towards the front? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so did it work? Well, or they couldn't oh, you didn't do it. You didn't try. Didn't, oh. But you didn't, you didn't do it, do it in the Uber, though, right? Try with family members yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then exactly. Well, I guess that's one thing, but it's another thing to not even be who you really say you are at all. And that's what we're talking about today. First, we're talking about romance scammers, which is especially relevant as we approach Valentine's Day and the winter in general. People are very lonely. And uh, a, a uh, report from NerdWallet talks about how romance scammers prey on the lonely, people who obviously want new friends, new dates, love, and affection. And they're talking about some red flags and signs to spot romance cameras. One is relationships moving too quickly. So basically people showering you with love and affection and then somehow moving it to, over to the question of money, saying that they've had uh, some sort of an accident or injury or somebody is in crisis and convince people to send over money. Another sign of romance fraud uh, is uh, if the person asks you too soon to communicate off of a dating app and onto something like WhatsApp or email, they say they basically want a more personal environment to interact with you where there aren't any limitations imposed by the dating app. I actually have done this in the past for accessibility reasons. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Declining video calls or meeting in person. That is a huge red flag. They might say they're going to be offshore for a while uh, or um, otherwise not available. Uh, and they also talk about conversations being too scripted, too canned. For example, never using your name, just saying honey or something like that, uh, that may mean that the person in question is sending the same message to multiple people. They say, do your research. I always felt a little bit creepy sort of Googling people that I was <laughs> matched with <laughs> on dating sites, uh, but they actually talk about even doing a reverse image search. I would never have thought of this oh. one in my life, but they say to plug it into Google Images and yep. uh, look up whether the person in question is really who they say they are. Uh, let's pick on Kelly for this one. Do you think that people with disabilities are more vulnerable to romance scammers? Oh, oh, oh I, I think to scammers, I won't necessarily say romance scammers because I think really what gets people and maybe they're and I don't want to suggest, oh, disabled people are more lonely than anyone else, but I do feel that lonely, that uh, being just wanting somebody's attention, time, someone to mm -hmm. listen to them. I think you are so in, in a position of vulnerability there. Um, you almost wish and dream and take chances. 
you know, that, hey, maybe this isn't so, so good as it seems, but I'm lonely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that, like, we don't often talk about how much of a risky business it is just to be online dating at all, right? Just to put yourself out there and communicate with people in this fashion and not have the constant, constant reminder that these are strangers, that you can't really trust anybody these days, and there are, like, a billion ways that people can scam you in any kind of... um, part of the process right any stage of the process like maybe at the beginning you know you're very aware that you're talking to multiple people that this could go somewhere or it doesn't have to but then when you start kind of leaning into one or two people like just narrowing it down and getting more uh, conscious of what kind of conversations you're having and the kind of connection you're building it could be pretty sketch and at that point you got to really check a lot I think. I think Especially you got to check yourself a lot. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Your anxiousness. And the, the article does say, listen, it's kind of taboo, but if you have been scammed, don't feel like you're stupid. Scammers mm-hmm. do this oh, God, for a living. So they do this oh, for yeah. a job. Uh, report it and don't worry about yourself. Mm. I think my favorite was uh, I was communicating with this, someone that I knew was a scammer. Um, it's kind of a long story, what? but my favorite... My favorite <laughs> animal was uh, at the time was the sloth so i texted them saying like oh i'm actually not really human i'm a sloth living in a sanctuary for sloths but i just have the intelligence of a human and the person texted me back with i am really looking forward to connecting more with you uh which tells me that obviously they were just giving canned answers yeah Good times. and that's Good what times. i got once i got once somebody posing Told as my scammers. nephew needing some assistance and that was the same thing so i asked stupid questions about oh, the family and none of that came out none of, none of that was responded it. entertaining to. anecdotes for later definitely for sure. entertaining uh that is super embarrassing a little taboo but uh something more important uh which i want to move on to now is organ donations. So according to a report from the Canadian press, British Columbia saw a record-breaking 563 organ transplants last year from 160 deceased donors and 77 living donors. That sounds impressive until you hear the next stat, which is, if I'm reading this correctly, we have 28.8 deceased donors per million population, which is the highest in the country. Uh, And... um, they are working hard to ensure that people in intensive care units or people who need, uh, sorry, are referred to uh, as potential organ, organ donators, as is mandated by provincial law. Uh, however, there are 512 people waiting for a transplant in BC right now. They're kind of just uh, touching the, the limits there. And so they're saying that it's really important to get young people, people in school, people uh, who are being educated right now to sign up as organ donors. I almost, when I was younger, thought that organ donations should be opt-out instead of opt-in. I know that would be a tough tough one for a lot of people, yeah. though. Ramia, how do you think that we can get young people interested and sign up for donati- donating their organs? I, I go with your plan. I mean, you said when you were younger, but I kind of think the same way. If we're really, really talking more and more about this and we know how desperate so many people are for organs and how 
like accessible this kind of thing can be like really like we've progressed to such a point where uh you know the transport of organs and the understanding of the process has gotten so much more transparent in general and you know doable like why not and a lot of it is just negligence like we don't understand how easy it is to sign up especially in ontario to be an organ donor it's just a literal checkbox but um so many of us don't even go there. Like, we don't even have these conversations. Lots and lots of us, way too many of us. So I think a kind of aggressive grant, but I agree with you. I feel like it should be an opt-out rather than an opt-in. Yeah, 100%. I remember as a kid how frustrated I was. I was about 10 years old, and they would talk about how at that time you had to do a, a check or something like that with your driver's license. Yeah. And I was like, what? Hold on a sec. I'll never have one of those. How do I? And I think that for a lot of people, especially then and through... It was the, oh, how difficult is it to be one? Opt-out is just the way to go. And, and oh, you make such a good point about, like, where do we even sign up? Let's make that uh, option more accessible as well, right? Like, put it more in our face. Yeah. Put it more in our face yeah. so that we have that ability. go for anything, and they're like, you want ability. to be an organ donor? <laughs> well, and, and folks, there's so much you can, by being a donor... There's so much that you can help other people because of so many things that they can utilize your, your donation. Now, I also understand, Grant... If they want younger people, and, and I don't mean to sound, oh, I don't know how to word this exactly without sounding kind of gory or grim, but I mean, you don't want, you want donators, but somebody has to be in the position to donate at, that you don't want them to be in. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think there's a lot of fear that governs organ donation. Yep. People either think from what I've heard, either that I will not get the same care because people are going to want to just take mm. my organs or they'll think, you know, my organs are not as good. Something's going to happen, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you really just have to trust the medical system on this one that like they do have a duty of care. They are going to provide everyone the same level of care, which. Yeah, it's two different things. Like, no which, one's trying to send you mm -hmm. on your way to organ donation. No, yeah, they're not exactly. going to help you. Be, they're not going to help be, somebody that much, you know, even if it's be, their family member. <laughs> that'd be totally, totally unintuitive and not their job at all if they even know that you've signed up and in terms of using our organs uh just yeah i think really just trusting that the system is doing what it needs to do uh, yeah. uh, exactly uh just to kind of squeeze this in here at the end uh another report from the canadian press talking about uh the homeless population in toronto which i think is the same across the country uh has a higher rate of covid and covid reinfection not a surprise to me, I'm sure not oh. for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, they are also likely to live, uh, have underlying health conditions that make them more vulnerable to, to uh, illness. Researchers followed uh, 381 people who had previously been infected with COVID-19 for about a year, and the study uh, found that people who didn't have a house or were in very cramped quarters altogether had a significantly higher rate of reinfection. Found this really interesting too in the context of the downtown east side uh, because yes. apparently the homeless population there, uh, not too far away from where I live, it seemed like they actually kind of from what I heard, tolerated COVID a little bit better than the average population, I guess maybe because of all the things that they experience on a daily basis, which is not a good thing. It's a terrible thing. Uh, but their infection rates were significantly higher. Any thoughts from you guys on uh, what we can uh, do maybe in terms of handling this the most equitably possible? I know that's a really difficult question. 
Mm. I'll, I'll jump in. I think I think really just having uh, having resources in the community, better shelters, uh, handing yes. out PPE equipment, uh, really like walking around trying to follow up with people, getting people into more permanent uh, placements as soon as possible, and just just making sure uh, to continue documenting this as they are in studies like this. Mm-hmm. Understand well, the trickle down. Yeah, and and how much do you guys think that the one one of the other things left to us by COVID? is all of us having more awareness of those living rough on the streets. Pretty much, right? Yeah, like, I feel that I would way. I feel so. like I'm more, I'd like to think I'm more informed, not an expert, informed a little yeah. bit more. I would hope so. I'd feel, it tends to feel like such a taboo and kind of an us versus them mentality, but I'm hoping that people are starting to adjust to just acknowledge that everyone is at a different place in terms of their mental health, their level of poverty, uh, et cetera. And then our lives can go multiple different ways we're maybe mm. lucky that our lives went a certain way but that it's really important to embrace and accept and help everyone that's exactly what i was thinking it's not necessarily as as much as it is just like a global phenomenon it, we can be very self-absorbed about what covid means right and say like this is how i'm being affected this is how my family is being affected but really there are people experiencing so much like difference in our from our own experiences Mm-hmm. Thanks, Grant. Absolutely. Appreciate it, pal. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. Grant will be back on Wednesday with more headlines on the program. Up next, folks, AMI's podcast coordinator, Ryan Delahanty, joins us to talk about some of the newest podcast releases at AMI. Stick around. He's here in two minutes. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Ramya and I are back, ladies and gentlemen. You're tuned in to Kelly and Ramya. She's at the studio in Toronto. I'm at the home studio in London, Ontario. And we have to do it, Rum. Have to give a big fedoras off and welcome back to Matt Agnew, our senior Woo-hoo. producer who is returning today for the first time in a year as he's been away. Really wonderful to have you back, Matt. Thank you. And uh, looking here. forward to getting back. He's on main campus. He's over there, is he? Mm-hmm. Do you hear him out there? I did when I was oh, out Oh, you there. can't with it. Not anymore. Yeah, but you can't with your headsets on, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, really wonderful to have you back. Looking forward to so much as the team expands and, you know, we just are able to do so much, folks, for the program and always want input. Yours, too. But, uh, yeah, Matt, welcome back. How long Rami do you Muthan? think it'll be before, before it's normal for him? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he has to put up with us, I would say probably two or three or four days. Just like the end of the show, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah. I meant to say before it starts feeling normal for him. I'd say two months. Yeah, maybe. I, I'm not sure because he's got to get acclimatized right now. Mm-hmm. He's got to kind of feel like he knows the stride, the TV thing, everything that comes with it, and then feels comfortable with everybody added. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with you. I'll go with the two months. Yeah. Okay. All right, we're on the yeah. same page. Yeah. We know ourselves. We know how long it takes to put up with us. And you know, now that you've said that, he's going to come to us in a month and I have to see you're wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> it actually took four months. Okay. Yeah, I'm not uh, even there and it will be another time off. On Mondays, we like to feature AMI because why not? There's always so much going on around here. Content, programming, AMI TV's got lots and lots of new stuff coming our way. Uh, and today, because at least once a month, we like to check in with our AMI audio podcast team. AMI's podcast coordinator, Ryan Delahunty, is going to keep us posted on all this stuff. Ryan, how's it going? Good. How are you two? 
doing really Excellent. well and looking forward to getting into some of this stuff with you. Uh, let's start with the new three-part series that's going to be included on The Pulse. This is, of course, hosted by uh, Juhi the Gupta. Yes, so uh, in the first part of the series, Joita speaks to Izzy Camilleri, the founder of Is Adaptive, which is a clothing brand that provides accessible fashions for people with disabilities. And so this is, as you may have guessed, a three-part series on accessible and adapted fashion. Uh, many folks may know Izzy, who's interviewed in part one from the AMI-TV series Fashion Dis. Mm -hmm. And on The Pulse, she tells Joita about her foray into inclusive fashion and design at a time when no one was really talking about about it and uh, what prompted her desire to create clothes that are functional as well as beautiful. Then in part two of the series, Joita speaks to Wendy Wong, who is founder of June Adaptive, about her creative choice and journey. Wendy discusses the practicalities of getting her business off the ground, including obtaining feedback from people with disabilities. And then in the final part, which just released this past Saturday, Alexa Jovanovich, uh, founder of iDesign, discusses how she collaborated collaborates with members of the blind and partially sighted community to create her unique clothing with Braille beadwork. I love okay. it. We all have, yeah. do we all have? I definitely have a um, fashion is for everyone Braille t-shirt. So nice. So comfortable. Oh, that's amazing. Um, as a matter of fact, let's see what she has to say about this stuff, folks, because we've got a clip here where Alexa is checking out the, uh, telling us a little bit about the impact of the Braille beadwork messages featured on her clothing designs. So the Braille from an aesthetic point of view is the focal point of each design. But when it comes to what the Braille actually says, I think that's really the star of the show when it comes to our pieces. So the piece that I'm wearing right now is the black long sleeve shirt with white Braille along the sleeves and down the center front. And the Braille actually reads one of my favorite phrases that we have. So this one here says, make inclusion an expectation, not an exception. Blindness does not have a certain look or feel. Disabilities do not define us, we define ourselves. So that's all captured in this piece. So not only is it an empowering phrase, but it's designed to be empowering when worn. And it really brings together this important conversation about the way we display disabilities in the social landscape, there is a huge misconception that if you're blind or visually impaired, that you don't care what you look like. And that simply isn't true. And that's something that we really wanted to bring to the forefront of this particular piece, but also just in our value set at the company. So really making sure that these pieces are so fashion forward that absolutely anyone can wear them and really kind of reduces that stigma that disability and fashion can't coexist because that absolutely isn't true. Correct. I mean, I remember the times where I just worried about, hey, I'll just let, hey, mommy will give me something at Christmas time that's good to wear. And, mm. and you know, when I became 30, I realized it didn't have to always be that way. But the fact is, you know, you, you say, well, I just don't know enough or I don't want to look weird because I'm picking something out. Why would I want to think about my own fashion? And, and there are a few people like that. There are people I've known for years since we were kids at the blind school that it was real important for them to have their certain shirts on, their certain style, and they were totally blind, not just low vision, totally blind people that were really aware that I'd sit there and say, how do you keep track? But it's not just that, Ramya. It's also when you have something like this, like what, what Lexi putting out, 
the feel you have with that communication on there, knowing what it says and knowing, yeah, it's in Braille, but it's so empowering to not only decide kind of what you want to wear, your look, but even these fantastic words we're hearing. Yep. It's what resonates with you, right? And that's what I was yeah. saying. Like, I have the Fashionist for Everyone t-shirt, and I was thinking, you know, it's very empowering, as, as she said, um, and it feels like you kind of can take accountability for your own stuff, which is exactly what you were alluding to. There's so much of this question mark. When we used to talk to Kia Osborne on the show monthly about fashion, um, and she mentioned a lot of other people's, you know, what makes you feel good? Is it your makeup? Is it your style, your sense of style? Is it a certain kind of fabric and texture? Is it just mm -hmm. whatever shoes you want to put on? Because you're like, that sounds like me. Um, and I think a lot of us struggle with this, honestly, way more than we, we express. Yep. And on various different levels, because if you have someone who has always picked out your clothing for you or you never really had to decide, or someone like me who I was like, I'm just going to... Everything is going to be black, so I don't have to deal with this. And that is a way of feeling, you know, not confident, right? Or feeling nervous about making the decisions of color or style or whatever it is. So a lot of people in the disability community can relate. Yeah. Uh, Great Ryan. word choice. Not confident. <laughs> yeah. Ryan. It really is. We can go on about this for a while, but tell us how we can uh, keep in touch with the Pulse. Absolutely. So um, you can find The Pulse Saturdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio, and it goes up right around the same time as a podcast on YouTube and your favorite audio podcasting platforms. Uh, so just search for The Pulse wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to subscribe, like, and review to help get the show to more people that'll enjoy it. Uh, easiest sort of hub would be to go to ami.ca slash The Pulse. And uh, this weekend, Joita's got a very timely interview for those of us in Atlantic Canada as she speaks with Caitlin Lowe of Dalhousie University here in Halifax about disability and emergency preparedness. And we have been buried under snow since Friday. So I'm yes. sure this will uh, resonate with a lot of the East Coasters. Yeah. Half a meter and still coming at you from what I last heard. You want to drum, jump over to Sean of the Shed, another great AMI podcast. Yes, absolutely. So the newest episode is called The Power of Braille, A Journey of Learning and Discovery. Uh, came out during uh, Braille Literacy Month. And so... I was really excited to hear Sean would be putting the different, uh, the top rated Braille learning apps through their paces. And so Sean Priest, host of Sean of the Shed, uh, set out to learn about these apps to test them out, see how accessible they are to a user who is blind or partially sighted. And in the process, he reviews four Braille learning apps, and those would hmm. be Braille Academy, Braille Decoded, Pocket Braille, and the best reviewed and the best titled app, Bump Bump Braille Learn. And and uh, he goes through these, providing some really valuable feedback on their accessibility and usability. And uh, some have some pretty glaring accessibility uh, failures being un incompatible with screen readers. So uh, yeah. teaching the sighted to learn Braille, uh, but not people who may be blind or partially sighted. Oh, do we have stories of this kind of experience? But yeah, let's check out a clip, a clip where Sean summarizes his findings uh, after finding some blaring accessibility issues with a few of the apps that you mentioned. That was Bump Bump Braille Learn. And I've got to say, for me, 
That's the winner so far. Um, I really liked the great descriptions of what Braille is. The description of how the Braille cell is made up, what the dots mean, the numbers, even what a Braille display is. Um, look, if you're just starting to get into it, that's exactly what you need. And the Braille quiz there, very easy. I mean, multiple choice. You knew exactly when you got something right or wrong. Yeah, I was impressed. So far, that is the winner. And I've got to say, I did try quite a few of these Braille learning apps. And the thing that kept coming up again and again, and as I mentioned earlier, is accessibility. There are so many of these Braille learning apps that are not accessible if you use a screen reader on your smartphone. And again, blows my mind. Um, uh, okay, but please give me access to these as well. <laughs> How kindly put, please. <laughs> yeah. Please let me also be able to use the app as a blind person. How <laughs> oh, sweet, Sean. I think he's a little dumbfounded at how <laughs> boneheaded a mistake that was to no make kidding. these apps or to not even consider uh, the accessibility of these apps. Uh, so I think he's a little astounded that uh -huh. in this day and age for, you know, for such specific uh, apps that uh, those would uh, miss the mark as well. But uh, well, some of them are definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Well, you know how a lot of us, um, to some degree, do some level of consulting, whether it's formally or not. We're educating people all the time. And when people ask me, hey, uh, can you check out this Braille to make sure that I'm doing it right? And or send me the Braille version of this text to you know label something with and i go to these braille quote translators online and some of them are just absolutely inaccessible i have no idea what dots i'm reading they're just complete image form and i have no mm -hmm. way to actually check if the braille is accurate or not and i'm thinking so now i have to tell the sighted person how to check if this braille is correct like that's just ridiculous um it feels yeah absolutely like you're left out of your own conversation yeah, yeah almost I like, think that's uh, who is supposed to be using it is the sighted person, Ryan. I think that's well, how come you get these image-based things like that for back in the day when ridiculous. somebody would say, I want to learn Braille because their view is, well, if you're blind, you already know it. Yeah, but there's reasons how people do I know you're want doing it right, though? the assistance. Exactly. And there's reasons for making up cards and things like that mm -hmm. where people want you to proof it as a blind person or this being effective. People that are just so far outside of, uh, you know, those communities often, you know, with their in university, their engineers, whatever, you know, they come up with this project that they think has a social good, yet nobody who they're trying to help is involved. And sometimes you can yes. see these uh, really, you know, good natured, but misguided attempts to cater to an audience that they know very little about personally. The the Braille situation almost reminded me of, you hear stories getting of people getting uh, tattoos in Japanese or Chinese, and they have no idea what it actually says. <laughs> what it says. Tattooed on their body. <laughs> <laughs> and so it kind of yeah. reminds me of, this, um, and the artist with a great sense of humor, right? All right. How can <laughs> folks find the episode if they want to listen to it and everything else from Sean of the Shed? Yeah, definitely recommend checking out this full episode. He's been on a really good run with uh, the previous one being about mastering hand gestures with Apple Watch. Uh, not having one, I learned quite a lot about uh, different ways you can use that interface. 
um, artificial intelligence for description and seeing AI and be my eyes. Uh, so he really gets into a lot of great detail and they're good to repeat and really step-by-step -step walk you through some really great tools that are out there. So easiest way to find him is just to look up Sean of the Shed on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform or visit uh, ami.ca slash Sean dash shed. And that's S-H-A-U-N dash shed for links to the various platforms hosting cool. the show. Thanks, Roy. Appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you both. So nice to be with you again, and hopefully we'll talk soon. Yes, we will. Go make a snow angel if you don't get buried. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, yeah, we check in with our podcast friends and Ryan Delahanty, our AMI podcast coordinator, at least once a month, but check in on Mondays for more AMI updates. In the next hour of the program on Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin is joined by special guest Senator Kim Pate, an independent member of the Senate of Canada and a longtime human rights advocate. Also... During our CNIB Smart Life segment, we talk about the Come to Work program and the Accommodating Your World series. Up next, however, Vancouver celebrates the Lunar New Year in February with events throughout the Lower Mainland. Community reporter Carol Yapel has those details. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. enjoying the program, the content on AMI-audio as our show marches on. We appreciate you being with us. You check us out on TV in Canada. You're finding us on AMI-tv. We do it live from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern and, of course, repeats on both networks at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald were the hosts of the show, and we on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays visit with our community reporters. Today, we're going to find out about some things going on out in Vancouver. Carol April joins us. Carol, welcome back to the show, and a lot on the plate today to get to. Great to be here, Kelly. Thank you. Let's start with Vancouver Public Library, new accessible services programming. Yay, we love this. Yeah, you know, the Vancouver Public Library downtown branch is a beautiful building. It's actually based on the Roman Colosseum. It's a gorgeous Oh, shoot, round. that's cool. Yeah, it's cool. And it's a bright, airy, spacious, inviting space. And I used to go there all the time before COVID. And then after COVID, I kind of stopped going to the library. But then last summer, the Accessible Services Program gave me a call at home and said, you know, we're going to upgrade your card. We're sending you a new card, and there's all kinds of new services. Well, I finally got down there, and it turns out in the month of February, there's so much new programming going on. But also, they have upgraded the Accessible Services Department so that it's right inside the library. It used to be outside, hard to get to. Now it's right there on level three. You can still get a free Victor Reader, as I have, when I need to l listen to things wow. on daily. Yeah. Cool. But they also have this dedicated monitor that you can use. They have enlarged type. There's a, an Optilec magnifier as well. And Monday to Friday, 10 to 5, there is a dedicated staff person in the stacks to help you find whatever book or title or DVD you wish to check out. And these are, you know, MP3 audio titles. Um, so anyway, I was just impressed. I was so yeah. happy to be back there. 
And they also are offering programs like I joined a Bookshare group called nice. Beyond the Cover, which oh. is a disability literature. I thought, Roma, that might interest you too to know. Absolutely. Um, and this is led by two people from the accessibility staff there. So they pick titles and then there's a group of people and we all share about the literature. So anyway, I just want to put in a plug for the wonderful services at Vancouver Public Library going on in the month of February, all month long. And the CNIB is even doing something there this Thursday. They're doing 90-minute um, one-on-one accessible technology, like work on your phone sessions. So, you know, it's a public hub. Libraries are supposed to be that, but I think the Vancouver Public Library is really coming through. Mm, they're going beyond. That sounds wonderful. And it's so nice. What a nice place. And I love that you got that call because I'm sure during COVID, so many people changed their habits and now they're trying to change it back. But a library is what it's supposed to be. Just like a community center, a community meeting place. Yeah, exactly. And that's how it feels to be in there. And the staff is so helpful and warm and you know, going to the library as a student, I remember this feeling. You go there thinking you're going to get one thing, but you walk yes. out learning yeah. so many different things and kind of picking. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's a wonderful thing of, of because there's so much. I would always find it even overwhelming, not just that place you had to shh, be quiet because this sounds even so much more inviting. But I love the fact there's people to help to support the days of, well, you know, this machine is here, but hopefully you know how to work and none of us on staff right here now know how to. It was put in here for your use. So hopefully you know how to work it. And I love that they go that extra mile. Beautiful, Carol. Thank you. Carol. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say right next door to the library is Chinatown. There you go. And that's our ah. transition into topic two, because Lunar Fest <laughs> is happening and it's the year of the dragon, which I only found out about this morning. Well, Rami, we need to find out what you are. Um, I'm a rooster. I'm okay, not a dragon. I know that much. Yeah. Well, you know, Chinatown is beautiful here in Vancouver. And in fact, the Lunar New Year is something that really you feel like the whole city is celebrating. Mm -hmm. And it starts on February 9th, that's New Year's Eve. And February 10th is the, the big parade and the big day. But I was just thinking as I was down there, there are so many different ways to celebrate Chinese New Year. Um, you can go to the big parade with thousands of people, but I don't really like the crowds that much. So mm. I tried to think what else is there to do to celebrate Chinese New Year. So it turns out that there's a beautiful garden down there called the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Historic Garden. And actually it's sort of a place, it's a walled in structure that was created in the style of these 15th century scholars gardens. And it's very accessible. The paths are even. And on February the 11th, it's a Sunday, they're having an all-day Lunar New Year celebration of the Year of the Dragon. There's the dragon right there. And they're having a tea ceremony, and they're having music, and they're having food items and, and lectures sort of about Year of the Dragon. That's ah. one way you could learn out more about that. That sounds lovely. And it's still an in-person thing. So it's not necessarily the giant main event, as you said, if you're not necessarily into that, but it's a kind of low-key way of spending it and still very educational. 
Yeah, very much so. Mm. And and beautiful and enjoyable. There's also a free concert at the Orpheum Theater. Uh, that's on the 13th. And that's marking the Lunar New Year. And um, then there's the stay-at-home option. So out here in Richmond and Vancouver, we have so many great Chinese restaurants. And they've specialized now in being able to do dim sum and dumplings that are actually takeout items. My husband said, oh, I don't think that would be very good. Yeah, I I have heard that they've really improved on their like takeout and to go options. Okay. So anyway, you can put on your red shirt like I did today and uh, and order some dumplings to celebrate the year (laughs) of the dragon. But the tea ceremony sounds really cool, though, on the 11th. Oh, that's so beautiful and so interesting. You Mm. know, there's there's reasons that they do that the way they do it. And it's so good to hear from the experts about things like that. I think people get so used to when it comes to the dim sum, by the way, it coming to the table and just kind of getting what you get and that kind of thing. So I can understand even the feel that your husband might be like, it just won't feel the same. Carol, let's move into your third topic because you've got a really interesting conversation here and we've got some audio to to uh, go along with this. CNIB online discussion for Sight Unseen. Um, this show is set in Vancouver and Detective who is blind, a young detective. Um, Let's play a little clip before we get into your conversation about this, where she is finding out from the doctor about about her being clinically blind. I'm afraid it's conclusive. There's an enlarging scotoma in your right eye. You said I would keep my vision. Lieber's neuropathy is unpredictable. Well, how long? Given the state of your left eye, a few weeks or so, maybe more. I I, I don't understand. I can still see. And you'll always be able to see something. Lights, shadows, a test. I want to be absolutely clear with you. You're already clinically blind. You know, one of the things I like about that clip, as I listen to it, it's the way I would imagine you being told and how, yes, I can hear the doctor sort of, but I'm like dreaming. I'm, I'm not here. I not believing this, this can't be happening kind of feel. Carol, I'll let you pick up the ball here because this is something you're interested in bringing to the table uh, for us to chat about and inform others who want to talk about it. Yes, well, it is set in Vancouver. It was filmed here last fall in summer, I believe. And it's, you know, the first ever blind detective story, blind cop drama on on major television. So, uh, I find the issues about it very interesting, particularly about disclosure, but there are many issues to discuss and they're being discussed by a CNIB program called In the Picture, and it goes on alternate Wednesdays. And last week was the first one I attended. I think there are about 30 of us on the call from all over Canada. And I think what's interesting about when something gets on major television, Um, It creates a new level of conversation among everyone in the country. And on this call, of course, we were all people, clients of the CNIB, but many of us discussed how watching with our family and friends, it opened up the door to a different level of discussion where whether the things being depicted are entirely your situation or even if they're 100% spot on accurate, that's a whole other topic, Mm. uh, it does prompt a level of discussion that otherwise might not be happening. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you guys seen it? No, I've seen only clips. I've not watched yeah. it. And I think also, Carol, one of the things I always find interesting 
is, of course, we put ourselves in it, you know, so you watch it with our John Desai of, hey, look, look, there better be accuracy and, and, and all that. But there are times your accuracy, your experience, Rum's experience is going to be different than mine and the next person. So I always say to people, we got to take it with a grain of salt because it doesn't mean, and especially when place, you know, put something in a certain time frame, a certain venue, um, we get that. I'm curious here, let's take a little moment to play this other clip we have, and this kind of brings a little more closer to something we talk about on the show, our, our Be My Eyes app or any of the assistant apps. Here she's using an Eyes Up app with another person um, on the line talking to her to help her make her way through the office. Take a listen, folks. Look, just get me to interview three. It's around the corner. Veer right. Go straight, nine paces. To your right. Nod and smile. Turn right. The door is directly ahead, four paces. Here's the door. Two o'clock. Avery. You gonna stay away? I'm gonna call. I don't like him. Yeah, I got that. You ever say that to your eyes? Uh, to be my eyes? Or look and smile, and I don't like him. Yeah, got that kind of impression. Carol, do you, before we close up and run out of time, any more comments you have about this and your experience with the program so far and the group? Well, it's on tonight. I want to mention that. So Monday night, 10 p.m. is when it airs. You know, I think about the Eyes Up app. It may be that people have issues with that, but I do want to point out that one of the creators of this show does have a visual impairment. And I'm told that, and so does the actress who's playing that detective. So the fact is that they have done their homework to some degree, and I really applaud them for doing that research and bringing some care and consideration to the depiction, because I do think that that level of respect and interest comes through in general in the spirit of the show. And, um, well, I, I'll just be interested to know what you both think about it in in the time to come. Awesome, Carol. Well, I know they've been around getting consulting. I know they came to AMI. I've heard that through the grapevine. Um, so really wonderful on them. Fedora's off them for, for trying to do the, the things that should be done to try to portray as accurate as possible, but also make it fun. And I like the sense of humor because there's a lot to laugh at. It sounds like a, a fun show. We'll talk to you down the road about it and so much more, Carol. Thank you. Great, thank you. That was our community reporter from Vancouver, Carol Yeppel, joining us. We talk to our community reporters Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. They join us once a month from their locations to fill us in on things going on in their area. Up next on the program, during our CNIB Smart Life segment, we talk about the Come to Work program and the Accommodating Your World series. I think I said it right, Rum. And the Accommodating Your World series. So let's get into that series of events there after this. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. So with the promise of warmer weather in my area, I've decided to do more short sleeve shirts this week, okay? It's just that tease. It's kind of like for those who love Christmas and halfway through the year get lonely and missing it, so they do Christmas in July. I'll just call this summer in February or something like that, Rob. Or they just do the Grinch all year. 
<laughs> or they just play the Grinch all year in movie form. <laughs> Could you imagine if it was the old Grinch over and over and over that uh, little 25 minute or 22 minute, whatever length it is, um, over and over, the little people in Ooville. That's the way that to one, lose the that, novelty. Is that one of your favorites? No, no, but I think what, it's Henley's what, favorite. It is. Beth Deer's best, daughter. Best, yeah, Beth yeah. best Deer's daughter love. What's your favorite? What, Christmas movie? I yeah. do Elf. That's kind of my go-to every year. But then again, I didn't wow. grow up with Christmas movies, so this is all very new to me, like the last That's four true. years That's true. You guys didn't so. do cartoons, Christmas stuff, Mm-mm. anything. That rock you know, was no pretty big. <laughs> At no, seven, you were watching no, the most violent stuff. films. I was outside sure. doing Risky Play, remember? Yeah, but that's outside. The TV outside no, was showing no. violent films. Yeah, yeah, I didn't do much TV. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Kelly McDonald with Romeo Muthan. Which is, you know, kind of a good thing, I think. Anyway, um, we're going to be checking in with our friends from CNIB Smart Life. This is a regular monthly segment on the first Monday of the month, and we get to a lot of different things going on at CNIB. Today, we're learning about the uh, Accommodating Your World series. And to do that, we're joined by Callie Lestrician, Manager of uh, Outreach, Assistive Tech, and Venture Pool. Callie, nice to have you on the show. Hi, it's nice to meet both of you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on, and we're very much looking forward to learning about this uh, kind of CNIB crossover segment right now, because mm-hmm. it is come to work that we're focusing on. So what is the Accommodating Your Work series? So oh, our world, Accommodating sorry. Your World, yeah. <laughs> so our Accommodating Your World series, uh, it's a virtual series of workshops that uh, was designed to essentially empower individuals who are blind or partially sighted to jump in and take on a more accommodating world. Uh, when this workshop first began, it was back when the the pandemic first hit, and so we all know how important technology was back. I mean, technology is uh-huh. always important for individuals with sight loss, uh, but it's especially when the pandemic hit. So these workshops were very heavily focused on technology, remote work, virtual learning. Um, But over the years, these these workshops have really developed to to further support individuals with sight loss in all areas of their life. Um, We just recently launched our new strategic plan, The Way Forward. Uh, And with the new strategic plan, we have kind of three main focuses. Uh, Our kids will thrive, safe and accessible journeys, and attitude is everything. And with these uh, three new focuses, we really saw this as an opportunity to further collaborate with other departments at CNIB because in some way, shape, or form, every department in CNIB helps individuals who are looking for work. Um, And so we collaborated with the Smart Life uh, Department, the Advocacy Department, the Research Department, the Children and Youth, the Assistive Tech, uh, several departments in CNIB. NIB to essentially uh, put on all of these workshops, and it's a pretty great series. Wow. And I think about the work part of it, definitely, and then probably that other area, other parts of CNIB could speak to the educational piece, because everywhere also um, prompts going to school, learning something, whether it be at home or, or wherever it might be. Do you want to talk a little bit more, Callie, about the sessions themselves? Anything we should know about the individual sessions? Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, we collaborated with the Smart Life team. So the Smart Life team held sessions to really teach individuals with sight loss about the the sight enhancement and the sight substitution devices that are out there to help, uh, you know, 
uh, allow individuals with sight loss to be more independent. Uh, these tools and devices are, are so critical. And so they really highlighted all of the devices that, that are available to individuals with sight loss. Uh, this series, we also launched a comprehensive Microsoft Office series. Um, this series, we're teaching everyone from beginner level to intermediate level to expert level in Microsoft Word and Microsoft Outlook. We, in the future, we are going to be doing PowerPoint and Excel as well, but uh, we don't want to overwhelm anyone with uh, too much <laughs> learning at once. So we focused on these two for this one. Um, we also launched advocacy sessions. These advocacy sessions were created to empower individuals with sight loss to essentially take an active role in living a more accommodating world. So uh, some of these sessions include speaking up for yourself, uh, know your rights, uh, employment fraud, uh, the power of persuasion, uh, disability accommodations, um, and uh, an introduction to Access Labs as well, another department here at CNIB. Um, and then, of course, last but not least, we also uh, created some workshops to help uh, further build skills uh, for personal and professional excellence. Um, some of these uh, workshops include how to choose a career, a perspective through career theory, um, uh, strong work habits, um, and mastering your facilitation skills with adaptive technology. Um, we also launched a Reaper session. Uh, Reaper, for those of you who might not know, Reaper is a, an accessible tool that allows you to um, edit and and uh, audio videos and uh, video clips. Um, so it's a great tool for anyone who's wanting to create their own podcast or um, uh, create their own videos or anything like that. So we're running through how to use that tool as well. And those are those are just a few of the sessions that we're launching this go around. Well, just in that, we can tell you're covering a lot of ground, Callie. Like, we're talking a lot of hard skill stuff, but also just, you know, motivation slash intention uh, around working and then, you know, other kind of transitional pieces. There's a lot going on. So was there a lot of consultation with the community to figure out what it is that people are looking for and cover the spectrum? Um, yeah, a lot of this consultation went on when we first, uh, when we were first trying to figure out what our new strategic plan was going to be. We pulled uh, uh, employees, we pulled our clients, we pulled volunteers, like everyone in the community, community mm -hmm. uh, members as well, to really gauge what they wanted our focuses to be. Um, and so that really is what drew, uh, that's where we, we drew from that to create all of these workshops. Well, I, I nice. can really cool. tell, yeah, that, you know, there's so much going on, um, not just the whole, you know, work side of things, but really like the, uh, I guess your your mental health or your preparedness mentally for what work can feel like and kind of tapping into the passions of people as well. How long is the series running for? Uh, so this series started back at the beginning of January, and it's going to run all the way through the end of March. So we're holding different sessions every week. Um, of course, once this series is done, we'll be launching a whole nother series uh, because here at Come to Work, we always have workshops on the go. But this one in particular uh, runs from January to March. I love how you found certain things to include in this, such as the know your rights, because yeah. we all talk about what's fair, what's not fair, how can I be treated that way, or why is that, oh, I can do that, but do we really know what we can and can't do? So you have to have those conversations. I'm curious, do you have to be a talent pool member to register for the series? 
No, no, you definitely don't have to be a talent pool member. All of our workshops are on our website. And so anyone can register for these. Um, of course, if you are someone that's really interested in attending these workshops and or if you're someone who is blind or partially sighted and you're looking for work, we highly recommend uh, that you go to our website, but that you also uh, join our Come to Work program, because if you join our Come to Work program, you'll get access to these workshops, uh, but you'll also get one-to-one -one support from all of us as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll continue talking about the support part of it, but I'm curious again with the intentions of this kind of series, which like I said, covers a lot. Um, I, do you do you feel like a lot of people are coming in with the stresses and anxieties of what it means to look for work and job search? And this part of it can be stressful as well, going through the workshops, feeling that pressure. Uh, do you feel like it's important to have some of the more lighthearted uh, community peer support feel also built into this? Yeah, I agree with you. And that is why, um, so for instance, we do have a, a job seekers club that we have as part of our um, come to work program that allows, you know, uh, in, individuals who are all in the same kind of boat to, to get support from each other as well. Um, that is also one of the big reasons that our come to work program is big on that one-to-one -one support. Um, mm -hmm. Many of our staff are also from the, the vision loss community. And so, they have that that support, right? And that understanding of what everyone is going through and those anxieties and things like that. And and we definitely try and touch on this in our workshops quite often. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Because yeah, really nice. writing a resume is one thing, but let's say you're coming mm. as an example from 10, 15 years of not working, that part of it can be just so overwhelming to deal with, right? And and going into the next phase. What other kinds of supports are being offered with the Come to Work program? So our Come to Work program, uh, one of the big things we offer is our assistive technology training. We all know that uh, knowing your assistive tech is so important for you to be able to find and retain work. Um, so we'll we'll teach them how to use whatever assistive technology they choose. We do our one-to-one -one support. So we will help with those cover letter writing, resume writing, uh, elevator pitch preparation. Um, we'll do interviewing prep. Uh, we also have um, supports uh, career cruising, which will help individuals uh, decide on which career path is the best one for them. Um, of course, once you join our program, you also get access to our networking events, our partner job postings that they'll be sending us. Uh, we do partner information sessions. We have a talent accelerator program. We have a mentorship program where you can work with a mentor to support you in your career. Um, you know, we do weekly learning labs. We do uh, uh, group tr tech training sessions every month. Um, we're a very dynamic program that's, that's trying to cover all the bases so that we can support uh, individuals with sight loss in any way that they need. And I bet with that, having people with the experience of uh, sight loss or who have been blind all their life, who have and haven't worked, but you got everybody working together and, and giving feeling, giving mm. comment, but mostly that encouragement being the magic one. Uh, how does someone register, excuse me, for accommodating your world or join the Come to Work program? So you're going to want to visit our website, which is cometowork.ca. Come to work is all one word. So C-O-M-E-T-O-W-O-R-K.ca. 
Uh, and then once you're on the Come to Work website, you can go to the events tab where you can register for any of our workshops. And we encourage that you go there on a regular basis because we're always adding more workshops. Uh, once you register for an event, you can add it to your calendar. And once you add it to your calendar, you'll you'll see the Zoom link there that will give you access to, to the workshops. Um, once you're on our website, cometowork.ca as well, if you go to the Find Work tab, you're only a few clicks away from joining our Come to Work program. It will guide you uh, through the steps to joining our program. And then, of course, if anyone has any questions about our program, you're always welcome to email us, which is cometowork at cnib.ca. Okay. Well, I think you guys are really trying to meet people where they are uh, in a lot of different ways, Callie. I hope it's successful. And thank you for talking about it. Thank you so much for having me today. We were speaking with Callie Lishtishan from uh, CNIB Smart Life. She's the manager of Outreach, Assistive Tech, and Venture Pool with the Come to Work program. Uh, we were talking about the Accommodating Your World program. So check it out with CNIB Smart Life. And you can come back once a month for these conversations we have. Coming up on the other side of the break. On Know Your Rights Today, Danielle McLaughlin is joined by a special guest, Senator Kim Pate, an independent member of the Senate of Canada and a longtime human rights advocate. So please stick around. That conversation up next. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Man, we are so lucky. The great conversations we have on the show that we're all privy to. Uh, it's really a lot of fun and certainly, certainly a blessing. Ramya Booth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the program. This is Kelly and Ramya. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. You can find us first time on AMI-audio at 4 p.m. Eastern, repeated at 10 p.m. Eastern on both networks. Thank you for being with us. And let's get into one of our weekly staples on the program. We invite Danielle McLaughlin. We were speaking of Know Your Rights a little bit in the last segment. Well, we've got a little more detail and conversation about it for you and an honored guest joining Danielle today. So let's bring Danielle on for Know Your Rights. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. Welcome back to the program, Danielle. And today you have a wonderful guest joining you. I have. I'm delighted to tell you that we have a very special guest joining us today. Senator Kim Pate is an independent member of the Senate of Canada. And she is a longtime human rights advocate who has made a very significant contribution to the rights of women, people with disabilities, and people who are incarcerated in this country. Welcome to Kelly and Ramya, Senator Pate. It's my profound pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I come to you today from the shores of the Kitchissippi, the unceded, unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg Nation, otherwise known to many folks as Ottawa. Lovely. Thank you for telling us that. Now, over your career, you have shone light on the serious treatment, or I should say the serious problem of mistreatment of people in prisons has it been difficult to make the greater public care about convicted criminals? 
Mm -hmm. Well, certainly over my uh, more than 40 years, it's about 45 years now of going into prisons for young people, men and women. Uh, I started going before I went to law school and of course after law school I uh, started working more directly in those areas. And what I've seen is two things. One, um, the, the tendency to just see anybody who has been convicted of a criminal offence as bad and therefore not worthy of any kind of support or certainly legal protection uh, was historically the situation. Um, but increasingly with the recognition, I think the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Inquiry, and the growing awareness of just who is in our prisons um, and the fact that our prisons really have become the repositories for every other system that fails. So we see overwhelmingly people who have been raised in with uh, in poverty without economic supports. We see overwhelmingly people with mental health issues, often disabling mental health issues. Historically we've also seen people with intellectual and cognitive um, issues in terms of challenges, whether it's anything from learning disabilities to actual intellectual disabilities. We've also seen, uh, and as we're having this discussion, that increasingly it's those who are racialized and right now um, women uh, when we talk about the women who are serving sentences of two years or more for instance in this country half of them one in two are indigenous one in ten are black and the numbers are about one in three for men and um, and one in about 10 as well for um, for men when we talk about black prisoners. So that's a huge, huge mass incarceration, not just over-representation. Back in 1990s, when the numbers were about 13%, so Indigenous people were about one in 10, it was described as a crisis in this country. What do you call it when you've got one in two? And so that's the reality. And then when we look at provinces and territories like Saskatchewan, Manitoba and the north, the numbers go up way higher. It's three and four and for young people it's nine and ten and ten and ten. And so those are horrific numbers and I think that has made people become more aware of the fact that this isn't just people who are posing a risk to society in the ways that we've or you know b-grade movie type depictions of people mm -hmm. who are in prison it's actually people who have been provided with fewest opportunities to actually thrive in our country these are it's really important that everybody is aware of these this gross disproportionality and and ask the question which i know doesn't have a simple answer is you know how did this happen um you know i i know that we have to go way back and we have to look at, at what's happening every day as well and particularly when we look at provincial uh, institutions and we you know we find that 80% of the people have yet to be convicted of a crime people being held there so there's something seriously wrong here now Recently, you introduced a bill that would let judges modify a prisoner's sentence in cases where there has been misconduct by prison officials. Can you tell us about this and, and how that would work? Sure. So the bill actually is uh, the amendments the Senate made back in 2019 to another bill, a government bill, and it was mm -hmm. the bill to eliminate the use of segregation. And what it really did was replace segregation with a term called structured intervention units and remove virtually all of the legal uh, supports and the, the checks and balances, if you will. And so, so I... Uh, 
uh, Senator Jose Foreni Singh, as she then was, uh, she sadly uh, died during the COVID pandemic. She and I and a number of other senators had worked on those amendments. And when, uh, when they passed the Senate, that was great, but the government then rejected them. And so uh, when they didn't pass, she said, we have to go into the prisons and start monitoring what's happening. And so we did. A number of us have about 34 um, senators, 36 senators now, have been going into the prisons and monitoring what's happened since then. And what became very clear is that the amendments we had made could have made a difference, in particular to have judicial oversight and have the courts be able to look at these issues. And one of those was the remedy that you've talked about, that where the way that corrections treats prisoners amounts to correctional interference with the lawful sanction, then people should be able to go back to court and have those sentences revisited. It's not an original idea. Louise Arbour recommended it in 1996, following the Commission of Inquiry into the uh, issues, the strip searching, illegal strip searching and segregation of women at the prison for women. Uh, but what she proposed is that it's the only way really to correct corrections when they don't follow the law because when a judge sentences someone to prison they presume that the person is going to be separated from the community as the punishment or the penalty for their conviction. They don't presume they're going to go there and be forever punished or mistreated. And so when we see things like lengthy use of lengthy segregation, transfers, uh, forced mental health treatment in the sense of particularly injections and, and that sort of thing, when we see uses of force, when we see the types of uh, you know, um, mistreatment that has been happening, that has been chronicled in inquests, inquiries, investigations over the years, uh, that those should give rise to some kind of remedy. And up until now, the only remedies that really exist are judicial review through the federal court system, uh, or in terms of court remedies, or uh, civil suits. And certainly there have been a number of civil lawsuits uh, challenging the use of segregation, uh, the placement of people with mental health issues in isolation as well, those sorts of things. And what, what um, Madam Justice uh, Louise Arbour recommended was instead of just leaving people to try and figure out if they can afford a lawyer, if they can get access to a lawyer. There should be an expectation that the law is followed. And as she described it, bring the last portion of the criminal legal system, I don't call it a justice system because there's sadly not much just about it for too many people, uh, that it should bring the corrections under the courts in the same way that police are and police accountability exists, um, that judges themselves have to, you know, can be appealed if their decisions don't uh, follow the law. And so really that was, that's what the remedy is. That's what's been proposed. It's in a bill called Bill S-230. It's a private bill that I introduced uh, when uh, Senator Fareni Singh uh, died. Uh, she was going to introduce it. And so it's one that's proceeding. It's currently at the Senate Legal Committee. Uh, and we'll be going to clause by clause next week, which means if it passes that, it will go back to the Senate for third reading and then over to the House of Commons to uh, hopefully be passed there. Well, let's let's hope. Now, in, in this scenario, would a judge who uh, sentenced someone then remain seized of the case even after they've been sentenced or would it go through a different process? 
Well, the particulars of how it could happen could vary, but certainly I think the benefit of the judge being seized of it who sentenced, and unless for some reason either they have retired or they no longer, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, are on the bench than somebody else on that court. But it would go back to the same uh, jurisdiction where, at the very least, where the person was convicted and sentenced and have the, uh, the case revisited there with all of the evidence being provided about what has happened and allowed allowing then uh, that to be examined and a determination made. Obviously won't be, this is not going to result in, in masses and masses and masses of cases. It would be as Michael Jackson has identified, you know, someone who's been doing this work for more than 50 years, uh, that these would be cases like the sorts that result in things like the Commission of Inquiry, significant investigations, ones that, for instance, the correctional investigator might bring to the attention uh, of uh, different individuals, including the courts. And, and do you think this would happen more quickly than, for example, a human rights complaint or s some other area in which we know that the administration uh, wheels turn very slowly? Um, my hope would be that it would be much like an appeal. It would happen in that kind of ta uh, framework, time frame, because the other thing, the problem with a human rights complaint, and those are great, and there's been, as we know from um, the work that we did back in the early 2000s, uh, and that resulted in a report called Protecting Their Rights, the Human Rights Commission has done some great work on these issues. The challenge is, um, as we've seen with the the challenges Cindy Blackstock has had having the First Nations Caring Society, uh, the rulings from the Tr Human Rights Tribunal implemented, is it doesn't mean automatically that that is now a new decision. And so uh, the idea of going back to the court would be the court would be seized of this, would then be able to uh, make a decision to either shorten a sentence, end a sentence, or change the parole eligibility period. And if if that were were to happen, do you think that it would put um, the the prison administration on notice that they they would be more careful, shall we say, or or more attentive to the mistreatment issues that are are current and have been for a long time? I would certainly hope so. When I started doing this work, we often said that you, in order to determine what rules existed within a prison, you had to determine what the warden said the law was or the policy was. And, you know, I don't say that flippantly. That was really, no. it was the administration who determined uh, what happened or didn't happen and how it happened in a prison often. When the Corrections and Conditional Release Act was introduced, part of the reason it was introduced is to try and bring corrections law in um, to, to make it comply with the Charter, the, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and human rights uh, provisions. And so it was characterized as a piece of human rights legislation. And one of the objectives was to reduce the use of incarceration. Well, we know what's happened. The opposite is true as the numbers have gone up and exponentially so. And so uh, this is really to try and uh, bring home the idea that the law must be applied. And Louise Arbour said back in, in the mid-90s that when she looked at the situation that was happening with the Correctional Service of Canada then, not just at the Prison for Women where the Commission of Inquiry, where the events took place, but when she looked at the policy, because part of her inquiry had a whole uh, policy component, she said that it was very clear that in corrections, rules were, there were rules everywhere, 
but it, nowhere was the rule of law. And that's really what this is uh, trying to do is, and I, I agree with you, I think that if this passes, then there will be a requirement that correctional staff at every level should know what the law is. Because right now, I can't tell you how many times I will be walking around a prison with either senators or staff or whoever, and when they talk about a policy, and if I say, uh, you know that violates the law, that that's inconsistent with the corrections legislation, I'll say, oh, no, no, that is the law. And I'll say, no, that's a policy that you have implemented, and it actually violates the law. So if it's challenged, you know, it would have to be changed. And the problem is the if it's challenged is the concern. And that's that's part of why we are looking at these kinds of provisions, both a judicial oversight component of segregation or isolation by whatever name, not not just structured intervention units, but also then a remedy where the law has been broken. So it, it, if, if it were passed, and I think I, I join you in hoping that it, it will be, it will not only benefit the individual who has suffered mistreatment, but it could also work to make a more transparent and accountable correction system in Canada. Is, is, is that your view as well? Yes, and that's very much one of the primary goals. One of the challenges right now, I mean, Emma Cunliffe, a professor of law at UBC, has has written um, in a couple of years ago in the Supreme Court Law Review about the fact that for decades, um, the if you received a, a, a statement from a police officer or a correctional officer against that, that was contrary to something you heard from an accused or a prisoner, almost always that the police officer and the correctional officer's position was privileged. It was seen as they were the truthful ones, mm -hmm. not the prisoner. And I think, again, many court cases have shown, uh, particularly over the last couple of decades, that in fact that isn't true. And she actually has recommended to judges that where they have the only documentation is from a, a correctional or a policing authority, because they are the ones that create the documents and they control who has access to them, there should always be a questioning, an interrogation of those records. Uh, and one of the few ways to do that is if a matter is before the court. And right now, one of the challenges um, people have all the time is, you know, getting their files, even even though they're entitled by law to their files, getting yeah. access to them can be incredibly difficult. This is one way that by putting it in front of the court, it will also be accessible to not only them and their lawyers, but also the public. And as we see, well, this I mean, is there's a very important stuff. And I'm awfully sorry to tell you that we have run out of time, but I have a feeling I'm going to be coming back to ask you for for updates. Um, you know, as somebody once said, you, you can't be the umpire of your own ball game. And I think that, that this w bill would go a long way to, to assisting with that, that problem. Thank you so very much for joining us today, Senator Pate. Oh, just call me Kim, please. And thank you, Danielle, for doing this and for all of you for the work you do. Thank you. That Absolutely was my, tremendous. Thank you. That was my special guest, Senator Kim Pate, talking to us about the bill she's recently introduced to improve the conditions of people who are incarcerated in Canada's prisons. Danielle, Senator, appreciate it so much. What a conversation.
Folks, we step aside here for a couple of moments. Remember, we uh, can be joined for Know Your Rights every Monday here on the program at the same time. Up next, though, we will wrap up our show, tell you what's coming up tomorrow, see what the gang over at now at Dave Brown. We'll peek in their window, see what they've got for us, and our closing moments. So think about games, how much we always think we're a part of one, or there's a child that really was. We'll talk about it in a moment. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Well, lots more to talk about, folks, as we wrap up the program. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. We begin our show at 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio, wherever you're listening and around the world. Great to know you're out there, but don't forget our podcast. Subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast platform. Check out the show in its full version. We even throw an audio vanity card on the end. Or you can listen to the show in segment form if in case you have a favorite segment, a favorite contributor. Maybe you only want to hear that community report from today from Carol Yapel. Well, check it out via the podcast. Ramya, another show with a good podcast. Mm -hmm. Good appearance on our show uh, network in the morning with their show. Let's take a boo in the window of the gang's place over there at Now with Dave Brown. Yep, Tuesday's show includes a conversation about fad diets boasting rapid results. Are these really the solutions? You probably guess no, but dietitian Leah Scheinhouse is offering some guidance on what kind of diets do work if you're interested in this kind of thing. Community reporter Dorothy McNaughton is highlighting the upcoming Freedom to Read Week. There's, of course, going to be conversation around that on our show as well. Uh, we're also having, or they're also having on Now with Dave Brown, the weekly news quiz. Karen McGee, Alicia Yardley, and Alex Smythe are putting their knowledge of current events to the test. Fantastic. You can catch the show 9 a.m. in the morning. They're also available via podcast, ladies and gentlemen. So I always wonder what games I could play. You know, you go when there's all sorts of machines. The claw game seems kind of neat if you could kind of feel things a little bit more. Well, a little action as we talk about our closing moment here. Uh, the Australian police had to come to the aid of a three-year-old boy recently after he became trapped inside a claw machine oh at gosh. a suburban mall. What? I mean, inside. There's a video that was shared that the Queen's police actually made of the rescue of this young boy. Shows the toddler sitting inside the walls. Uh, really, best way to describe it is a glass-walled box, of course, mm -hmm. so you can see from all around when you're working the machine. Filled with plush toys, blissfully unaware of his predicament. <laughs> Sounds like you and I with food. <laughs> The boy's father said his son disappeared into the claw machine's uh, game dis or toy dispenser and inside it in a split second. Boom, he was in there. Probably looking and saying, gosh, maybe oh. I want that one. That looks like a lot. Hey, that's my kid. Could you imagine? <laughs> the video then shows the officers and the boy's parents to get, it, you know, get into a corner at the back of the machine and to cover his eyes while the police shatter one of the panels oh. uh, so that they can free him unharmed. Now, the video does end with a police officer joking with the boy. You know what he joked about? Mm. He said to the child, you want a prize. Which one do you want? <laughs> That's so cute. I would have said myself. Uh, kind of a three-year-old? Come on. Yeah, that's true. A three-year-old would have just probably like, well, 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 you know, and just wonder, which Only which one, one did I like? Which one was the most comforting while I was in there? Yeah. I can't get over how quick he got in. 
How the heck? Like, I'm so, yeah, I'm thinking it's a, it's a cat thing where you just slink your yeah. way into the box. But it must have been terrifying to be in there and have it uh, shattered open, though. I think the shattering would have got him. And, yeah. and on the video, he's taking a peek, so they got to get it when, no, don't don't peek. We're going to smash the glass. Yeah. And then, of course, you don't see on the video the bill being handed to the parent, right? <laughs> no way. <laughs> Do they got to pay for the machine? Oh. I don't know. Oh. I'm just saying possible. Kind of sounds like the machine should be made kinda better. sounds like More Canada. safe, please. Yeah. On the show tomorrow, folks, we chat with co-founder Daniel Woodrow of the Underground Comedy Railroad Tour, which aims to create opportunities and introduce voices of black Canadian comedians we to got new parenting. audiences abroad. Oh, sorry. We got parenting with Lucia Belafonte talking about how as adults with Swiss abilities, you can achieve your dreams. Fedora's off to you, folks. Talk to you at 2 p.m. tomorrow on Kelly and Ramya. So in the part of Canada I am in, one of the concerns I've noticed that they've brought to our attention, as much as people may or may not listen to it, is the Great Lakes and the lack of ice, how much or how little they're getting over the past few years as things change. And I think to be expected, it is weird to me, and I'm sure you, that... We know in this part of Canada, we're not getting as much snow. Then you look at our poor friends on the East Coast who are getting tons of snow, almost all their snow in a season in one weekend. Guys, please be safe. That That's really incredibly challenging when you're talking about over a meter of snow in some areas falling over a weekend. And our friends out in B.C. through California getting so much rain due to the rivers in the air. I like referring to them as the rivers in the air. Kind of sounds like a band name, right? Tune in for rivers in the air. Um, we know that weird temperatures have been everywhere. And I think about this when I hear the geese outside. What are you guys doing here? It's January. And I don't know a lot about geese, so maybe that's not so abnormal. But you think about patterns and creatures that definitely go by the, the weather. So with the Great Lakes, that has been the concern. How much ice is there? How much open water? How this is a negative going into the spring and into the summertime? Um, what it does for erosion or, 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 or not. So there's a bunch of these things that have been brought up and you think about it, but sometimes you'll hear about it and sometimes not. And it's definitely our Great Lakes, that vast amount of water that I know people in this part of Canada are quite proud of because we know how fortunate we are to be sitting on the banks of them, um, so close to them, whether it's for beaching, playing around out in the water on your sea-do, or, or being able to move through the lakes on a boat if you're a boater. I have always thought that to be so amazing and so fortunate for us. But the concerns are there, as we love our winter. I mean, for God's sake, where I am in London, Ontario, we just had the first weekend with sunshine since November. And no snow, most of the time. A week where we had some snow, and it's gone. Anyway, you know we talk weather a fair bit on the show, but I think I'm kind of being a little more national or North America-wide in this reference because of the, the concerns that have been raised. Something to think about. Oh, by the way, great way to start the week, right? Happy Monday. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.